Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey guys, Hugh Jackman here. I just wanted to let you know, act right now, and for 1995, you can get access to my entire website full of all my uh, uh, recent uh, wedding photos that have been taken. Uh, it's been a really nice uh, gig that I had this last weekend. I want to thank Barbara and uh, Sean for letting me... Uh, 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 I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Welcome to episode 97 of the Superhouse Podcast. This is Andrew, as always, and I'm once again joined by Maddie. Hi. And Stefan. How's it going? And this week, our guest on Superhouse is a practical effects artist named Julian Ledger. He is Superhouse's first Australian guest on the show, and he has worked on Alien Covenant, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, The Monkey King, True Grit, The Last Samurai, Serenity, Biodome, and The Blob. In 1988 just to name a few he has been a painter sculptor he has done some mold making and then a bunch of creature effects creature effects painting and technician work as well as puppeteer work and illustration work throughout his career welcome to superhouse julian andrew good to be here <laughs> <laughs> i know it's a quite a lot to take in but that is, uh that is quite a lot <laughs> you you've left out miniatures oh miniatures oh sorry which, which, have, which have been long forgotten but, uh, they still happen sometimes. They still happen. Um, somebody at work actually did the miniatures for Mindhunter. The hotels you saw in Mindhunter were actually miniatures, some of them. Cool. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. I'm awesome. always happy to hear people doing miniature work. It still happens. It's just, you just don't know when you're seeing it. They're that yeah. good. The technology yeah. has advanced. <laughs> I follow a bunch of uh, pages, like, uh, miniature and diorama pages that uh, do like action figure photography and stuff. Very cool. Very dope. Highly detailed. <laughs> very good <laughs> yeah i couldn't believe those were actually miniatures yeah when when that stuff is done right it's 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 really amazing it's in my hunter it's yeah. fucking seamless man <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna have to check it out yeah i couldn't believe it um anyway um it's not about my hunter today it's about all about julian did you work on mine hunter i did not okay all right um <laughs> let's just <laughs> let's let's just get right into it so julian where are you from originally originally from australia uh born in sydney grew up on the edge of the outback in a tiny little town called karkor um, by tiny it had like 384 people bam it was really beautiful historic town kind of nestled a lot like central california kind of rolling hills a lot of um uh, really beautiful old buildings including the house we i grew up in it was like old three-story directory so it was a great 
place to grow up, rode motorcycles around, <laughs> had horses and pony and all that sort of stuff. Fought with Mad Max or what? <laughs> I think you've got to go a little further inland. Where, where we were, was still beautiful rolling hills. Okay. You go a little further, it starts to flatten out. It okay. Get into Mad Max territory. <laughs> were you anywhere near that desert area, though? It seems like the outback basically is where you're getting into the desert area in the middle. Yeah, they never, it's funny, it, we're always aware of it, but I never really thought much about it. Okay. I don't think until Mad Max came out. It's not like just. I mean, I'm sure there's people in this country that don't go to the Mojave Desert, don't don't see oh, yeah. the desert parts of this country. So it's just like you just don't. You know, even though in Australia, the desert ca does cover a good portion of it. I mean, most of the population is obviously on the coasts, which is ultimately where I moved back to Sydney and and did high school there. Okay. Yeah, I think there's probably people that were born and raised in LA. And have never been to the Mojave Desert. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people like that. Yeah, it's easy to just hang out in your your area and you're with your people and, and forget about the rest. Not, not realize there's a whole vast area out there. And it, especially with Australia too, it's not very populated in the outback. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's certainly lots of little towns, but comparatively, it's it's pretty sparse. And unless you're into the desert which I'm really not that into the desert, yet I live in LA. <laughs> Are you more into the sea or like, I feel like there's landscapes that people like. Yeah. Mountains definitely, maybe? I'm definitely drawn to both mountains and the ocean and living in California, you get both of that. <laughs> right. It is pretty cool. I've met, I have met people that really do connect with the desert and I never even been to the desert until I came out to LA. Really? I, I think my first desert was in Mojave. What was that, Julian? I mean, um, <laughs> Stefan. Uh, I just said I love the desert. Sorry, I mean to interrupt. You can you connect with the desert. I love with I love the desert. I love I, I, desert yeah. I I can appreciate it. I just don't want to live. I don't mind visiting. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I went to Zion, mm. up in Utah recently. It was, it was spectacular. It's pretty beautiful countryside. And, you know, get great photos, good hikes, all that sort of stuff. But I'm happy to get back in my car and leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to leave? It's, and I was out actually doing a project. Um, right, see a lot of desert in Australia, though, right? Uh, well, that's the thing. I didn't. I didn't see that much desert. I mean, you can, <laughs> but <laughs> the areas where I grew up, I just it was. It really looked like if you're familiar with uh, Central California, it's just kind of yeah. like rolling hills. In the in the summer, it's it's golden brown. In the winter, it gets very green, and that's kind of how it was where I grew up. It, pretty nice. pretty similar. And it actually snowed a little bit. Oh, well. Sometimes you get a couple of feet of snow. It only happened a few times a year. But the you... dead of winter is like August. When is that exactly it's in funny, Australia? I, I've been here so long, I've kind of lost uh -huh. track of that. But obviously, Christmas is hot. Summer. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, winter would be kind of around August. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would like... have to look at a calendar because it's it's you know, growing up. You're not really paying that much attention. It's cold. It's hot. Yeah, like oh, it's but Christmas you're out on the beach barbecuing, right? Yeah, That's yeah, what I've yeah. heard. In fact, uh, seafood is really popular uh -huh. for Christmas meal. My my sister, uh -huh. one thing she does is she's a chef. Okay, she cooks amazing meals, uh, seafood meals at, at Christmas. We're growing up, it was more traditional British kind of goose or duck or something like that. Okay, for, for Christmas meal. But in the past, probably twenty odd years in Australia, I think. Especially in places like Sydney, where you get amazing seafood, um, why wouldn't you cook something like that? Why, why, right. not, why not adapt to the climate rather than being stuck in you know, a British tradition? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but 
that it's across the world a, for a different climate for a different you know a, a different time those, those uh, traditions came from right yeah that makes sense i mean there's been a lot of uh, uh asian influences in the past 30 years in australia so some of the dishes even have those influences too which uh, it just seems more exciting. Yeah, I mean, Australia is a lot more connected to Southeast Asia and even Japan to a certain degree, Korea, yeah. than any place else. I think it was else. a shock to very white Australia for a while. But yeah. I feel like every time I go back, I feel like Australia is adapting better and better. Oh, really? Yeah. They wanted to keep with the traditional British ways <laughs> for a while. It's it's always hard to change. <laughs> change is slow, I think, any, anywhere. Yeah, but you guys fucking uh, adapted to the uh, metric system in the 70s. I think having a smaller population, it makes it easier. And the probably, gov- The yeah. government's like, well, you have two years. Right. And so we had a lot of rulers, one-inch rulers that we've had sword fights with when <laughs> in, in primary school. They just threw them out. They yeah, were like, like, no yeah, more inches. Here's toys. Here's, yeah, it was like, yeah, exactly. Two years, industry, everyone to, to switch over. So uh, for, for a while, when you were a kid, you learned inches for like a month, and then they're like, all right, we're doing centimeters now. I don't even remember learning inches. I, I okay. Remember, but inches were around, and my grandfather used them. They, they existed. And obviously, when I moved here yeah. to the U.S., I, I had, to, had to learn that. So okay. now I'm... And it's good. I'm familiar with both. I feel pretty comfortable with both both systems. Do you feel like, man, we're going to get to the effects talk soon, guys? Oh, please. Um, <laughs> but do you... This deep dive into some inches. Welcome to Metric Talk. We're going to get there. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, pretty much it's you would like... America to get to the metricism eventually, or do you feel like it it's like be, fuck it, your America just do what you want, or what? It would be great. I mean, I it's funny when I use inches, I'd like yeah. like decimal inches are cool when I'm sometimes I get to the machine and yeah, do stuff like that. Uh, decimal inches work fine on a certain scale, but overall, I would say metric having used both, metric is easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would lo- I would love for everybody to switch to metric and Celsius. I actually liked using it in Japan. I think it'll very gradually happen here. It's sort of like a <laughs> it should. But in the effect shops, we measure everything in grams. Everything is on gram yeah. scales because it's yeah. easier to use grams than right. it is ounces and, and the like. It's weird. Some of it, like when they tried in the seventies, right in America, yeah, yeah. some and of it's uh, stayed. Yeah, there was a sign. There was that slow switchover, but they didn't enforce it here. Yeah, they, yeah, they didn't yeah. Make it mandatory. It was, yeah. it was, uh, it was optional. Right, and that's the problem. You can't give people options. You got to kind of force when, it. When yeah. you want change to happen, you kind of got to nudge a little harder. Right. All right. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. Back to back Getting to back the to uh, back to the original story here. Um, how different was growing up in the seventies? Correct. Would Mainly seventies, seventies and eighties, seventies and eighties in yeah. Australia. How much different is that from growing up in the seventies and eighties? In America, would you say you probably only know that from the movies? But yeah, exactly. I mean, and, uh, the movies give one a perspective, but obviously, it's going to be a more glamorized, yeah, more yeah, exaggerated yeah. perspective. It, yeah, it definitely did. It definitely did seem different, though. I mean, simple things like schools all have uniforms in Australia, even I, public schools. Even public school. I mean, uh-huh. the school I, I actually ended up going to a very, very expensive. Um, high school in sydney 
Uh, right. Where there were very strict. We had boaters, you know, the straw hats. We had blades. straw hats. Yeah. We had the rigid <laughs> from the 30s. You need and, to send me the picture uh, of you wearing this hat, uh, man. Yeah, I'm sure there's one of me, right? There's, there's others wearing it. Okay. Uh, you you didn't want to wear it? I did not want to wear it. I don't think anyone in the school wanted to wear this stuff. But when okay. you had your uniform on and you were walking out in the street, you had to have it mm-hmm. correct. You know, the button right buttoned up blazer tie all that sort of stuff right a, a black rigid bag black polished shoes it was all that stuff they caned us um <laughs> Whoa. It, it was it was very uh, i took my wife when we went out to australia to just to walk around the grounds of the school and she's yeah. like oh you you uh, went to harry potter school <laughs> like the, the chapel there is all covered with ivy um it's a beautiful school grounds and we have an amazing view of the harbor bridge off in the distance not that distant but it's right there in the mm. ground. and it was definitely from aesthetic point of view it was a beautiful place but i you know it's more of a school for politicians kids and doctors lawyers and like and i, oh. I never felt like i fit in you know the art program there was was pretty minimal I mean, was you there, felt like um, you were like the only art kid, or just one of the few. Other, there are other artists, but I just I I didn't feel like I I um I fit in, which is why I think ultimately I came here with a little more enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> so all these kids, they just wanted to be lawyers and politicians and shit. I didn't think they knew what they would want to be. But <laughs> they weren't artists. I mean, there were there there was only artists there. I should yeah. put it down. And and going back, the where where the buildings were that held uh, the, the art classrooms. They had torn all that down because they were, they, they were very shoddy looking buildings. And now it seems like they had someone had given them some money and they right. produced beautiful buildings with potting wheels and welders. And it's like, oh, why wasn't all this stuff here when, when I was there? <laughs> so I'm sure times have changed as, as they do. Right. All right. That's cool. Um, so, you work in movies. Yeah. What kind of movies did you really love growing up? What were some of the, like if you had like your top three maybe, or even number one growing up, when you were a kid, what was like, what was super inspiring to you at the time? I think, I mean, not to sound you know, too stereotypical, but I think movies like Star Wars, I mean, uh-huh. it was very prominent when I was growing up. Yeah. Because my, my father was a graphic arts, so he was, managed to get a hold of bits and pieces. I think he got a hold of an art, like a cardboard R2-D2 from a theater. Oh, yeah. And I had a lot of his toys and a lot of that stuff definitely was was inspiring. Um, I don't think I had any clue that I could actually get into this industry. I remember seeing uh, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, and seeing a uh, magazine article where they were showing the... There's a scene where one of the characters gets put into the lava pit mm-hmm. in, a, in a metal cage. And I was done as a miniature. And it was a miniature um, guy that was probably third scale. Yeah. And I remember looking at that going, that, that would be cool to, to, to make that kind of thing. And, oh. Um, and I think those sorts of things stuck in my head. Okay. And what what about Rick Baker specials on TV or things like that? Was that a thing in Australia? I think that's I, I missed out on it. It's like okay. I hear all this stuff from effects people here, and I feel like I, <laughs> I, I missed out on a ton of that stuff. They didn't it send never, that our it, way. It never even occurred to me that I could do this stuff. <laughs> okay. And it okay. wasn't wasn't until I came uh, to this country because my 
father had moved over here. Uh, parents separated. He moved over here. He married an American. Okay. Uh, Christy Marks, who's my stepmother. She's a great person. Anyway, okay. I moved over here. And a friend of my father's happened to be working on V at the time, on the, uh, the little AIDS version of V. And he's like, oh, I, I think I, my father had given me some clay. I was playing around with the clay, sculpting some alien or something. And this guy's like, yeah, you look like you could do that stuff. So I ended up working in, in the miniature shop uh, on V. Uh, it must have been out here for three weeks or so. And I don't know. I, mean, I, I, I was thinking about it today. It's like, it's odd. I was coming out here to visit my father. And he's like, yeah, sure. Go, go and work in a, in a next shop for, for a few weeks. Nice. But anyway, I, I did that. And, and I, I love doing it. It's like I got to see, they because they shot uh, the miniatures that they built. You know, they built in one building. And just across, across the way, they would... Um, shoot the miniatures so they had to like the the what looked like a mile diameter spaceship mm -hmm. which is probably only a few feet in diameter they had that they had matte paintings they had a bunch of the miniatures from v all that stuff there so getting to see that was and i was probably like 13 or 14 it just opened my eyes it was just like wow <laughs> people do this stuff and i can do it I, so you were like I guess labor, labor laws were different or something. Because I feel like you have to be 15 or 16 now. Yeah, you'd think. Not sure. I feel like I was probably around 14. Okay. That 14, 15, maybe. Okay. When I was doing that. And then you, so you went I, from working I, on V and then back, and then you went back to Australia to, to or was, and or I, what it, happened there at that Australia, point? In Australia, you can finish high school. You can do your school certificate. Yeah. Or you can do your high school certificate. Uh-huh. Because uh, I had an opportunity to maybe get into the effects industry. Yeah, I don't know. I think I was kind of done with that high school. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that sounds like a good idea. And my yeah. mother had, I think, a few a year or two before, it kind of had me do a video course where, okay. where I kind of learned basic video production. Okay, and I think that kind of. I'm not even sure why she chose that, but you know, my mother was always trying to push uh, creative stuff, and she felt like it was a good idea. So that kind of open my eyes up a little bit and then coming over to the u.s and and seeing you know uh effects production happening open them up a little more and i'm like yeah but i wouldn't mind doing that you're so your father didn't do any effects stuff at all but he was an artist in a he different a way a little bit he worked on i mean predominantly uh he, he was an illustrator he worked, okay worked at marvel comics uh -huh. in the 70s uh he, he worked on on um Star Lord, which is what became Guardians of the Galaxy. Shit, really? Yeah, he did a did a cover. Wow. Um, mostly, they had him doing coloring at Marvel. Okay. Um, you know, because they pretty, I assume they probably still do it to some extent, but they really break it down to, you know, doing your, your sketches, doing the inking, and doing the coloring is all broken in different departments. Right. And he was more in the coloring department. Okay. So they he was out in the U.S. around '78 was the first time he came out okay and then he came back a few years later and we ended up working on a there's a book of scrooge mcduck of like okay. 12 classic stories and they were it was a leather-bound book yeah uh they were selling it at the time for about 250 dollars it was an expensive book and they had 250 dollars and they had him and this is back in the early 80s and they had him color the whole book 
So he, you know, he got all the original blue lines that were done in the 50s and 60s by Karl Barks. And he worked with Karl Barks, apparently, and, and colored the whole, the whole book. And he actually got to do some original illustrations as well for that book. Yeah, I've heard, cool. I've heard this recently, that the DuckTales cartoon that we watched in the late 80s and early 90s, that's which based I, on a comic I, that's been going on since the 30s yeah, or something. Yeah, which I sort of, I think it was more, I feel like 50s. 50s, around, but yeah, a long it, it time. Because Carl Barks that created Donald Duck and Huey, Dewey, and Louie uh -huh. and Uncle Scrooge. He was the creator. In fact, my father asked him, he's like, so where's, where's Duckburg? And Carl Barks said, oh, I looked out my window in Burbank, and that was Duckburg. Burbank is Bur Duckburg? So Burbank is Duckburg. Did <laughs> we just break a story right here? <laughs> wow, dude. That's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Wait, so let's, let's talk about your dad for a second. Sure. So, I know, I'm, I'm jumping a lot. No, it's here. cool. It's totally fine. Um, so your dad is just an australian artist that breaks into marvel how does this happen he uh was a commercial artist in australia okay uh, he did a lot of stuff he, he was doing pretty well he was doing you know coca-cola commercials mm -hmm. and doing a lot of stuff for for radio stations you know the equivalent of sort of k-rock kind of stations uh -huh. um, all sorts of graphic art for that uh, I remember him doing Tylenol commercials. There was one Tylenol <laughs> ad that he did where if you zoomed in on the bubbles, he put little dollar signs into the bubbles. Oh, so really? He was always doing, being a little submersive wherever he <laughs> Well. And somehow he got away with it for the most part. Um, it's weird. All right. But yeah, he, he did a lot of commercial art. He also did comic um, work in Australia. I can't remember specifically what that was, but Australian he, comics. Yeah, Australian comics uh -huh. and that style of art. And somehow or another, he got the attention of Marvel, whether he threw his resume over there or what. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, it's odd that I don't know that story, but that's, they, that's he ended up going over there and, and working at Marvel for it was at least six months. He was, okay. He was, over there. he was talking about how he'd be working all night and his water, which his brushes were in, would freeze because they turn off the heat. Oh, shit, really? And it's uh, sure much colder than he was ever used to. Than right. Australia, I mean, New York is a totally different climate from yeah. from, uh, from Australia. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of how that happened. And then I guess from that he got a call to do that the Uncle Scrooge book. Okay. And I think somewhere in there he met uh, Christie, and that kind of evolved in in that process. So. Your dad did Guardians of the Galaxy, a cover for that? Yeah, at the time it was called Star-Lord. Just Star-Lord. Yeah. And then what else? Anything? Um... Uh, what's he doing? I should have looked at the stuff up before. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, I can see see the see the artwork, but I can't remember the, the name of the, the comic. But uh, okay. I know he was kind of doing a bunch, bunch of coloring at that time. And he worked around Stan Lee. And, okay. I don't think he had the best. Uh, he, he, he didn't always say the most positive things about Stanley, but I, I think it's because Stanley was more of a salesperson. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't think yeah. he was into that. You know, he was more into the people who did the work. Yeah. And I think Stanley is good at selling the work, but you kind of need salespeople too, because if you don't have people to sell the work. Yeah. Then, but although my father was pretty good at selling himself, 
So yeah, I mean, if he's just he could work out. I mean, we lived five hours, four to five hours drive from Sydney, mm-hmm. and he was always. I mean, he was always going to Sydney, but he kept himself busy. Even when he lived in this country, he ended up living up Central California, and he was always he would always get work. He would always keep himself busy. He was very good at promoting himself. Was he into comics at all, or was it just a job? He, no, he loved comics. Oh like, yeah, when I was growing up, there were tons of comics around i mean i i was somewhat interested mm-hmm. i mean it's funny it's some you know some kids want to love to read comics and yeah don't let them well if your dad I, was super into I, it. I was around them and it's like yeah i'll read them sure. <laughs> right but it right. didn't feel like it was something i had to do right um and my stepmother christy she still has a decent comic collection she was a huge number okay comics. when i first moved over here and stayed with them the room I was in had thousands of comics all carefully cataloged and in the right plastic and acid proof boxes and all that sort of stuff. Backed and boarded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Backed and boarded, baby. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, and are we, are we getting somewhere here? We, we are. We are. We are, we are making headway. Good. No, it's good, man. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, we talked a lot about your dad. Yeah. So, your mom, what did she do? Uh, my mother. When I was growing up, she was more sort of, you know, looked after the family and, and, okay. and did that side of things. When my parents separated, she had to kind of throw herself back in the work world, which I didn't think was any easy task. Um, but ultimately, she and a, and a good friend of hers, um, they started up a secondhand clothing store, which turned into a costume shop, which then they, they had the costume for a shop for at least, 10, 15 years, they did really well. And at that period of time in the 80s and early 90s, costume parties were really popular in Sydney. Mm. So it was sort of a good time and they would make costumes. I sort of regret not being able to help them more because I feel like with doing effect work kind of you know shifts into prop work and I always feel like oh, I should be making stuff for them. But uh. you get busy in, the, in this industry and you barely have time to make anything for yourself. Right. 12 hour days a lot of the time. But yeah, she uh, she and a friend did did very well out of that. What kind of costumes? We're talking about like ghosts and Spider-Man or something? Like like normal kind of Halloween costumes or what? Yeah, I think all your standard sort of Halloween costumes and, and they would create stuff for oh, yeah? people. I mean, people were like, oh, I kind of want this and this and they would modest, they'd spend all night modifying stuff for people. Wow. And they really put, it wasn't just like picking stuff off the rack in some cheesy, you know, pop-up Halloween store, it was like they they would do a song and dance around their customers, and their customers loved them, and they would really put a lot of effort into this stuff. Okay. They were at one point they, the early '90s, they came over here to the U.S. and they ended up doing a bunch of shopping, and they spent days on Melrose Boulevard and and, oh. and, and shipped boxes and boxes of stuff home that stuff that they didn't feel like they could find so easily in australia uh, they, they had a great time here so you both had some sort of an artistic background on both yeah, your father and your mother's side my mother was definitely creative i, I didn't know whether she had all the avenues to express them mm-hmm. my father i think took more advantage of that but they're definitely both creative so yeah and my sister does illustration she's a chef and and illustrator it's it's we're we're, we're, dr- we're drowning in it. She's a, she's a paid <laughs> illustrator. 
Uh, she sells her work. She does her oh, own yeah. work, and she um, she sells prints and the like. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, and let's do the full color coverage on the Ledger family here. Sure. You have an aunt that did script writing for Sierra Games, the I old PC that's, company. That's, that's Christy, that's my, that's my stepmother. Your stepmother. Christy gotcha. Marks. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And she she um. I don't think she originally created Gem, the the animated show. I don't know, you must be familiar. Yeah, Gem and the Misfits, yeah. Exactly. She uh, created the Bible for that. I think they came with a concept and yeah. like to do something with this. Yeah. She created the Bible. She wrote a bunch of episodes. So she was heavily involved with that. She also, I, I have a resume in front of me, but I know she did a, a lot of work in, in with comics. Uh, okay. She created a... a uh, a comic called Sisterhood of Steel that was pretty popular. Okay. Uh, with was it Eclipse Comics. That she, I think she was working with Eclipse Comics. And then, yeah, she she got into video game stuff with Sierra Online. And both okay. my father and, and she went up to Oakhurst, which is where they were, I don't know whether they still are located, but they were located there. And did a bunch near Seattle? No, no, it's like um, north of. Fresno, which is oh, the center okay. of California, so okay. like between Fresno and Yosemite. Okay, Close gotcha. to Yosemite. It's up. Okay. You know, unlike Fresno, it's kind of up in a beautiful. I thought area. Sierra was in Washington State for some reason. It's okay. And <laughs> they, I think my father, he did a bunch of video game covers for okay. them, and he also did a bunch of art. But unfortunately, it was a period of time where graphics were really limited yeah 16 colors i think he felt really restricted as an illustrator he worked in the office for a few months and kept on getting sick and he's like i need to work at home so they set mm -hmm. him up at home with a computer at, at his place and he did the work and as soon as he was finished he boxed it all up put it in the car and drove it back and told him he never wanted to see it again <laughs> wow <laughs> he didn't like doing the video game work as much yeah and i think it was because at that time, video games were extremely limited. I mean, it's not like mm -hmm. now. now video games, uh, you have to look twice to see if it's not a film that you're looking at at times with some of the clips that you see. I mean, this stuff is really impressive. I mean, back at that time, but this it, might even, when, when your dad was working, yeah. it was probably before this, but there's a famous, famous example of how bad this was at the time was there's a game called Mega Man mm -hmm. and there's, the early box art, I think, was all done by one guy, at least the first few of them. And the guy only received like one or two pictures, I think, of the main character, which was just a little so it was totally inaccurate eight bit thing. <laughs> and he had to do this like whole oil painting base. I think it was oil painting. And he's holding a gun in it and shooting. But the thing is, the character is supposed to be a robot where his hand becomes a blaster type of gun. But he in this on this cover that's that you can still see today that they used to sell the game. He's holding a gun, That's like, like a regular didn't, pistol. Didn't, didn't someone have a little chat with him and say, no, it's actually not that. It's they did, they just didn't give a shit. No one cared about it at the time, apparently. So Yeah, and video game. I mean, the game covers that he did, I, I think there was there was a, a Grail game that, that they, I should know. Actually, I think I have a credit on, on that game. I did something to help with the graphics, and, and somehow or another got a credit on that game. Oh, really? Um but yeah, I mean, it's totally farcical covers. I mean, the co covers are these action sequences that are beautifully rendered in, yeah. in acrylics uh, and the like. 
little to do with with these sixteen color games that exist within. Um, yeah, that's the weird thing about that time too, because a lot of the game art, the the cover art would be great, but when you would actually play the game, it looked totally different because it didn't have the fucking <laughs> might, capability. Might a little little, dis, little disappointing. Though. Yeah, and I remember around that time I went into Sierra and yeah. they had taken one of my my father loved doing illustrations of. Uh, German, he really liked it. German aircraft, World War Two aircraft. Oh yeah, and he'd done this uh, painting of of two fighter aircraft against like uh, rocky cliffs at sunset, so the cliffs had salmon colors, and then you could oh. see the blue sky, and you could see the underside of the planes as they were banking along, and they'd scanned that image in two fifty six colors, and two fifty six is enough to make a, a an image look decent. Right. That's what a GIF is. Right. Um, and I think he could start to see what the possibilities. I mean, this was like early 90s. So okay. Photoshop, I think, may have existed in its early forms, but he didn't have access to that. It, it saddens me a little bit that because unfortunately he was he was killed in a in an auto accident in 94. So he missed out on on what happened after that. This was a drunk driving incident, or how much do you want to no, get this? It's fine. He just he he had um, he he was driving from he'd been doing work in uh, Monterey, yeah, and he was driving back to uh, he lived in, uh, around Oakhurst area and missed his exit. Was on a different road, and okay. he, he missed a stop sign. Went through. Wasn't speeding or anything. He just didn't. I think it was partially tree covered, and he was hit by a like a large semi trailer. Oh shit, man! Totally broadsided in '94. Yeah. So yeah, so he missed out on a lot of lot of really cool stuff and that. And I think he would have appreciated. It. I remember as a child, um, he'd give me stacks of magazines to look for reference, and it's like you now you can just click Google open and type yeah what you want. You he missed the internet basically. Yeah, he missed the internet. He missed he missed all this amazing stuff that we have. And Star Lord becoming a huge thing. Yeah. And he would wow, appreciate. He loves. He loves Spider Man. He would. Have, I think he would have really appreciated how they made that Spider Man suit look like the comic, right? Uh, in the meet recent one, yeah, and all the superhero stuff where they they go above and beyond to make those suits look even cooler than than the way they represent in comics, and, right? Yeah, you know, they don't always pull it off, but a lot of the times that stuff looks looks spectacular. I think, right? All right. Uh, let me see here. Um, so there, was there a special effects artist that you admired growing up? You said, you said you didn't really, um, yeah, I get Rick like, Baker's special yeah, effects I, things. I, I, on... I didn't get his blogs. <laughs> <laughs> Fangoria magazine didn't make its way to Australia. I, I think until I, I mean, I'm sure I was there, but I also, I grew up in the country where the nearest movie theater was 30 miles away. Oh shit. Okay. It, it was an effort just to see. See, and then I, I did go to high school in Sydney for a while and I had more access to things. But I think I missed out on on a lot of that stuff. And it wasn't until I... I think there was some movie um, magazines that that my father had, the behind-the-scenes stuff where I was mentioning they had the Temple of Doom stuff with the third-scale guy going into the lava. And that stuff, and you know, stuck in my head. Because I've always... I've loved art. I loved science. Those things are what really drive me, and I think that's what the effects industry has a lot of that. Right. Um, 
you know, you you have to solve problems. And right. You have to do it creatively, and there's and there's aesthetics involved, and, and all that tied together is really exciting. So I think that's that's what's driven me more than any one makeup effects artist. I mean, there was um, I'm trying to think of the, the, the I I should know his name off the top of my head, and I, I'm and Winston Brickbaker. Keep going down. Oh, <laughs> um, man, I don't know, uh, Steve Johnson. I had worked for him, and uh, I mean, work, working for him was was great because I, I I um got to do some really cool stuff, and that was a shop where where quality I felt like quality was important. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Steve Johnson is crazy, <laughs> I, on the I, record, I'm sure I'm sure he would say the same himself. Yeah, but it just seemed like he had a strong desire to whatever came out of that shop had to look really good and right. uh, it was enjoyable to work somewhere where that was that was important because it is often you work in places where it's, it's more important just to get it done on time and it's like no i we want to we want to push things a little bit further cool so it's it seems like kind of like you're since you were so far out in the country living in a place of 380 people <laughs> Your dad was probably the main influence on you, and not and not even like Rick Baker stuff yeah, or think, Fangoria magazine or anything that, like that's that. That's true. I think I think my father did have have a lot of influence. I, I mean, obviously, and he wasn't even around that much because he was constantly traveling to Sydney and ultimately he, he traveled over here. So, but when he was around, I certainly hung around in the studio and watched him illustrate. Um, and he was also inspiring in terms of what he talked about. He would talk about science. He'd explain how the world works or how mm-hmm. things work and made me want to think about, you know, pulling things apart. I mean, I think that maybe they came naturally as well. Yeah. It's like if I had a pair of scissors and I could pull pull an object apart, I would. I right. Mean, I, you know, I wanted to understand how, how every object worked. <laughs> Oh, really? So you'd be taking apart your microwave or some shit? Or? Yeah, I think I was probably maybe six years old. I remember being out in the shed, pulling a the cover off a really old light switch. It was probably an electrical stuff from the 20s. I have a feeling 20s or 30s. And I think my grandfather walked in on me, horrified, seeing me pull apart this <laughs> light switch. But I knew that I didn't touch anything. I knew it was dangerous to touch. Yeah. I just wanted to see the mechanics. Uh, my, my father was like collecting uh, obscure items like old slot machines and pinball machines. And you know, the slot machines he had were the mechanical variety. They weren't electronic in any uh, way. So they were filled with gears and governors and, and, all, and springs and all sorts of things. And I'd sit and watch how that, like how you know, when you pull a lever, what's that doing? I think I, I really enjoyed mechanical stuff. So if it wasn't for art, you'd probably be in that field. Yeah, I every so often they let me uh, machine things and use the the mills and lathe and so on. I love doing that stuff, but I think ultimately I'm more drawn to to drawing, to sketching, to creating uh, and designing and the like. I can paint a creature or draw something like that up. That's that's that ultimately feels more inspiring. Right. But I love the mechanical stuff too. It's like I I feel lucky that I'm in an industry where a lot of that stuff gets covered. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you ever done any animatronics work? Uh, I've helped out with it. Okay. I haven't taken something from 
from start to finish. I've just okay. I've been involved with making it of it. It's like, oh, make this part or or I've been handed, I mean, I remember years ago there was some mechanical fish to make for a commercial and the guy who had started the mechanics had to leave for another project. So okay. I ended up finishing the mechanics and I think I did the skin and painted the skin. I basically did the whole thing from from start to finish. It wasn't beautiful wasn't the most amazing thing but it worked it got got us through the commercial i think it was my first sag gig oh shit okay all right let me see what else we got here um so you came in and you started you basically came to america when you were like 15 yeah for good probably yes yeah, should look it up there was around 15 16 around that age and then and your then, your then first gig was the Blob in nineteen eighty eight. First gig was actually uh, Alan Quarterman, Lost City of Gold. Okay, I think it's on. Think yeah, it's it on actually there. is. I'm is sorry, I think I missed that. That's okay. Yeah. I think that was the first, and I was underage. I think I was seventeen. <laughs> okay, I think I was seventeen when I started that. So I had to lie about my age and say I was eighteen. Mm. Uh, and I was working with the guy that got me on. Um, uh, working with on V. Okay. And we ended up sculpting these huge statues that were 10 feet tall out of wet clay. Okay. Uh, I had to make uh, 2,000 gold bricks. And for some reason, they put someone who knew nothing <laughs> in charge. I made, I made the original gold brick. I made a mold. And then we had to make a gang mold and make thousands. It seems like at that time, it was just like the Wild West. It was like, have you ever looked at a picture of gold bricks? All right, you're yeah. the gold brick guy. Yeah, you do it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, pretty, was pretty amazing. Like now it'd be like, so have you studied gold bricks in college? And do you have a degree? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they just care a lot more now, seemingly. To some extent. I mean, although it's amazing how that still kind of happens you just get handed stuff because you say yes i can do that right yeah yeah and, i mean you see it you work yeah you've been working where, where i've been working you it's a, it's amazing what uh how little information you're given at times yeah 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 uh, i mean sometimes they get caught up in details that you'd be surprised by, by the by tiny minutia, by the, the smallest thing holds up the whole process. And then other times they just hand stuff off. And it's like, yeah, that's it. Right. It's, yeah. Yep, it's, good enough. It's the entertainment business. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nuts. Yeah, it's 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 kind of <laughs> weird. It, it hasn't changed. You know, the, the the faces and people change, but the 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 uh, uh you know the, the attitudes are the same. <laughs> I mean, it's even yeah, for, even from back then when you even, were yeah, doing yeah. V and everything. And there's a lot lot more women in the industry, which is great. Uh, I mean, it used to be really male dominated. It was really male dominated, and that's great. That's fantastic to right. see that shift. Um, right. Yeah, I I feel like things on the whole are getting better. We're working less crazy hours. I mean, when I first started doing all nighters, was just kind of a oh yeah, that's just part of what you do. You right. Work all night. Right. What's the big deal? And you work 12, 14, work seven days a week. And that was not bizarre. <laughs> but, but now, you know, shops, uh, I think it's partially laws that thankfully have kind of impinged. And maybe the people doing the effects have gotten a little older and have families and they don't really yeah. work as crazy hours. So, yeah, things have, have improved. Cool. Um So, do you see yourself mainly as a painter or a sculptor, 
or just a special effects makeup artist in general? Just I, I where well, I sort of label myself as an as an effects artist, and I, you know, I'm probably majority of the time I do painting. Okay, I do some sculpting and some fabrication, and I get to do some design and illustration. Um, I, I like it when I can see a project from, from beginning to end or be involved in, in different aspects rather than get, getting just stuck in one department. Right. I mean, it, it's the advantage of being in one department is you really get to hone your skills, but it's, it's, it's not as satisfying just seeing one element of the process and seeing, you know, seeing stuff come in. It's like, well, why is that like, okay, well, that's how it is. And I'm just going to, you know, it, you know, sometimes it's amazing, sometimes it's not, but you have no control over what's what's come to you. And that can be a little frustrating. It feels a little more factory-like when, you, when you're when just in one area. You used to do a gag from start to finish, I heard, where if you did like this gunshot wound or whatever, you would be the sculptor and painter. Maybe, I don't know, but I've heard that like you kind of did there, there it all the way until set and you applied it on set as well because that was, was your thing. There was more of that, I think. Uh-huh. I feel like people were involved in more steps. And it depends on the size of the production, size of the shop. I think, you know, the larger the shop, the more it's compartmentalized. Yeah. And the bigger the show, the more compartmentalized it is. You work on a smaller, smaller movie you get to do more, you know, you work in a garage shop or something like that. I, yeah. I worked on a movie called The Nest and we were doing everything. That's, in a garage? Yeah, basically out of a garage. <laughs> well, wow. all right. With yeah. Roger Corman walking across the lawn <laughs> to, 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 to take a look what, what we're up to. <laughs> all right. The uh, Nest. I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, I don't think that's on the IMDb list. <laughs> I should stick it up there, see if it stays. I'm always... We're curious to know who's there checking on IMDb because you put it up and a few weeks later, it may or may not end up on there. Usually it does. Or it's got to wait until NDAs passed, things like that, right? Yeah, there's that, but it's, I don't know if they, I don't know how they decide you actually did work on it because there's. It must be at the producer level or some lower, lower level producer has to update that for everyone. There must be somebody that they hire for that. Who, who are these people thousands though? of people punching in what the, i did this and this on a show I mean, right it would be their expensive endeavor to, to fully research that i had two for because i i had one i made myself in college just to prepare for whatever yeah. and then another one that was made by somebody else that started putting your, your name some things that, i mean it was accurate but it was yeah. still like i didn't make this one so i had to combine them eventually um yeah, I'd love to know how that works. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> what was the movie that you worked on that you considered the toughest, most challenging film? It's challenging. It's a good question. They all seem pretty damn challenging when you're in the thick of it. Either technically <laughs> challenging or because of the people working on it. I don't know how much you want to get into that part, but yeah, I um was uh I Am Legend was was probably less so for me, just watching what was happening around it. Was that production nuts or what? Production was 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 little. Uh, you know, being the thing is being and on the effects side of things, we're a small part, and as digital encroaches more and more, we get 
you know, I'm hard on things that's smaller and smaller. So I always look at it as like we're the plumber that's come in for a day or two to, to do whatever it is. So we're, we're, the production's got so many other things that they're thinking about. We're just kind of like, oh, you, you know, yeah, you, you, we're barely on their radar. Right. So I think that's why a lot of stuff, and until they actually need that thing in front of the camera, and then suddenly well, they're important. But prior to that, they, they're barely even thinking about it. And I think that's part of the issue. Certainly no exception on, on Iron Legend, because there was, they would send people to New York, and then they'd be sending them to the airport, and then they'd get a call from the airport going, well, where are you? Where's the effect? And they're like, well, you sent us to the airport, so um, we were actually going home. And sometimes, in one occasion, it was an effect that they'd canceled a month prior to that. Oh, really? So not only are we leaving, but we don't have that effect because you, you canceled it. Is that a fault with the assistant director, you think, or no, it's just well, different every I have time? No idea. It, it, it amazes me. <laughs> and then <laughs> I, I think also new people are constantly coming into the film industry. So it's like, I think things get forgotten. I, I think things have to be relearned constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a certain amount of stuff that that people know and people don't screw up too often but then there's a bunch of other stuff that i think just kind of just falls for the crack because it's this constant flow of new people and you know movies you put together your crew and it's a whole different set of people each time right even if it's some of the same core people there's a lot of new people around it so i think it just opens up lots of opportunities for scheduling screw-ups and you know and you're putting talent you know you're putting it artistic ideas against money it's yeah the more money the less control man <laughs> yeah i mean the more arguments the more they're gonna really drill down on well is this what we want right because i'm i'm paying for this too man and then you know being in an effect shop you're so far away from most of that <laughs> yeah that's the other thing that i think that's maybe i don't know i'm still new to this whole thing but the it seems like there might be a disconnect with people on set and people uh, in the actual effects shop, because people on set they don't know what the fuck is going on in the effects shop. Yeah. Like this, this, like let's say a gag that's been work, been working on for two months uh, by one dude just just chipping away every day for eight hours a day for two months, and they get sent this gag on set, and it's just like this magical thing that shows up. Like, all right. It's here. You know, like they don't think about, they probably, no one's really thinking about how much time went into that thing. They, they, they have no clue. They right. It just appears in front of them. Yeah. And it's like, and sometimes they're like, oh, cool. That's great. And sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I remember on Last Samurai, the uh, director on that, we'd been there a month mm -hmm. kind of tweaking the mechanical horse that we had built that Tom Cruise was going to be on. Right. And, the, the director and the, the the whole you know production group come come into this warehouse because we were out of town a bit so it was a bit of a drive for them to get to and the director's looking and was like oh wow i wish i'd known about this earlier we could have used this for a bunch of things <laughs> they they didn't know what they didn't know what they had <laughs> <time. They, laughs> you know, they, they, these are you know there are so many wheels in a production i mean yeah. amazing films get made I, mean, I sit and watch films sometimes and i am just amazed that it's actually that good. It all comes together and, yeah. it, and it, yeah, 
scenes cut together and it actually makes some sense. Right. And yeah. Things look, you know, the makeups that people have done look, uh, the continuity looks decent and, you know, the lighting it amazes me when I watch outdoor scenes and, you know, mm-hmm. the sun is moving, you know, it's taken them all day to shoot that scene. Right. And, uh, and if the DP's done their job right, it'll look seamless. You won't even think about that. Especially fact. the older movies. Now yeah. they got color corrections. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you don't have issues. If you're shooting digital, you don't have issues with, with different film stock. I mean, once upon a time, you had to buy, make sure you had the same stock film for that scene. Otherwise, you'd right. have a color correction nightmare. Right. And you still you see it in older films. You see that shift in color suddenly happen where the color mm-hmm. timing is off. Right. I don't even know how they did it back then, man. I have no idea. I, I, and I've used, I mean, I've worked in optical houses. I've done some miniature work and watched them with all their, their chloroethylene bars that they run the film through and all that toxic environments to be in. Especially <laughs> editing back then yeah. on the Steenbeck machines. Yeah. Holy shit, man. Like, I edit now, but I've, I've grew up in the digital age. We, we got it easy. Yeah. We got it really easy. I mean, especially like how many. If they made an actual cut, I don't even. I mean, I'm sure there's an answer to this, but like, how did how did it just amazes me? Like how they they probably had to make several different copies just for the editor, several different prints of every take, yeah, yeah. every reel ever, and put that there. And editing must have been a fucking nightmare, yeah, for the longest time. I mean, more films were edited that way than there have been digital, I assume. And we watch them without with barely even thinking about it. Nobody I, even thinks about I'm, it. I'm sure you think about it. I mean, when you do it. When you do these things, yeah. Anyway, if, if it's a good film and the script is good, you don't think about it too much because hopefully you're thinking about yeah. the film. But it's still there; it's still yeah. present in your mind. I mean, I watch. Thankfully, I can kind of involve myself in a film and not get too caught up in how it's done. But there are times when I look at stuff and it's like, how how did they do that? I, I now and then, that stuff's distracted me a little bit. Right. Yeah. Something about the effects part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's 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 my world. So I mean, and sometimes it's other things, but it's mostly mostly effects stuff. Right. And even digitally, I mean, you know how much that they can do digitally, but there's still stuff that's like, well, they 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 do create whole worlds out of out of almost nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's amazing any movie exists, really. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's almost of, like it's nearly impossible to a make lot, a lot of time, movie. money, and thought, and and, <laughs> and mistakes, and and insanity, and when we get to see a little glimpse, a little tiny glimpse of that, right? Yeah, probably a lot of it has to do with making it all in pre, like getting most of it kind of figured out in pre-production. Because once you get into production, it's kind of already set in stone for the, the most part. The, the wheel is, you know, that that big wheel is moving. Yeah, it's all turning. And that's the other thing when you're on when you're on location. I mean, it's it's like it's like a huge military operation without all the killing and the like. But well, with it's, with it's, everything it's, being hierarchical on set too, everybody having like their own different. And there's all these departments, and yeah. I mean, I've worked on stuff quite a few times out in Mexico and various other locations, and and you, we just kind of descend on these locations, <laughs> hundreds yeah. of people yeah. with little vehicles and big vehicles and yeah. trucks and. And getting all that stuff organized, and then we all get to be fed at least once a day. Right. And there's catering, and then the meals aren't just simple meals. They're full-on catered lunches that are out in the middle of nowhere. I, I think I was working on Red Planet, uh-huh. and we were in the middle of a dust, dust storm, and they're trying to keep the tents, and we got this full-on meal happening inside the tent, and everybody in big, dirty bowls of water that people are just kind of 
sticking their hands in to get some of the some of the dirt off before they walk into the tent. Oh wow! Uh, wow. It's it's amazing that this stuff happens. I mean, it it's really like a huge a, traveling gypsy type yeah. thing on a large scale. And we are gypsies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people go from job nice. to job. I've heard like Henry Cavill, the guy that plays Superman now. He said something like. It's hard to it's hard to make long lasting relationships sometimes because you'll be months yeah. all day every day with somebody for a long for for several months and then boom, boom you're gone. done yeah. it's it's over on to the next project yeah. and when you're there it seems like the most important thing yeah it's, yeah yes yeah. you get so fully invested in in doing what you're doing and doing the best you can do and and putting so many hours into that 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 is your world and that's all those people that's their world for that and then yeah it just suddenly it's it the light gets turned off and that's it is that something that you like or do or do you want more permanence or i i have to say i do i i I don't want to be on set all the time but i do enjoy being on set Uh some of the time because there is an energy on set of getting stuff done where you've got this whole team of people focused on getting one thing done right everyone just wants to get it right, get it done. You know, people each department knows what they're doing. The, the lighting is is right. The props are right. The, you know, every little detail is, is put together for this tiny little thing. Sometimes, right. And being part of that is, I, I can understand. It's it's it's. Oh. Nope. I can I can understand how enticing that is. It's it's pretty. It's it's it, it has a drug like quality to it but you still have a little bit of that even working offset going from project to project right yeah but when you're, on, house when you're house. on set it's it's dialed up i don't know yeah how that's people, true that's true i don't know how people do it day in day out for months on end yeah i mean i have done that but it, the, the thing is i you know like say monkey king i was on that for three months mm-hmm. but then people go straight on to another project that goes for three months it's like how do you keep that in <laughs> I, I they got a mortgage, man. Maybe maybe go back to a shop and you get to, I mean, it's still hard work in the shop, but the intent, you know, the spotlight isn't on you at that time. Yeah. The well, when, spot, it, when, it's, set, when it's on set, it's real go time. It's like, yeah. You know, and suddenly something you've spent days or weeks or whatever finessing, suddenly it's like, eh, just put some black paint on it. Just put some slime on it. Just let's just, right. we're just going to get this shot. Just tack it together, wire it together, do whatever you can. But I, in some ways, I like that because suddenly the pressure of perfection is turned off and it's just getting that shot. And that's going to be really exhilarating. So you, so you actually like working under pressure to a certain degree? Sort of oddly enough, I, I would deny that. And yet, <laughs> and, and yet I, there's a part of it that, as I said, it does have a drug like quality. To mm. it. It's like being under, under that scrutiny for that moment. It's kind of cool. Especially when it's all working, when it's not, it can be really right. And when it ends, it, you feel depleted. When the job's all over, it's playing here at home. It's like, what do I do? Right. Even though there's, there's plenty to do, but you feel like the, everything has been sucked out of you for a moment. You feel very empty. You have PTSD of, <laughs> of set life. Yeah, without, without, without all the risk of, of death and that like. Yeah, yeah I'm just, just joking <laughs> around. That was a joke. Um, all right. Um, let us now enter into the Chris Farley show segment of this episode, which is, um, did you watch SNL in the nineties when Chris Farley was on a little bit? I wasn't, I never had cable. 
<laughs> I, I missed out on a lot of that stuff, but I watched bits and pieces of it. So. Okay. So this ep- this part of the show is, I just call it this because in that sketch, he would always be like, he would literally have, um, like Paul McCartney would be on there. Yeah. And oh, yeah. he would be like, uh, so the Beatles, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> so it is, That was awesome. Yeah. And, and then they'd be like, oh, that was, it was stuff fun. That was in their movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what this is. Um, so I actually let's open it up with Maddie. Maddie, I think you got you probably have a couple, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, Maddie. Um, okay, I'll start with the Blob, the 1988 one, because I the the effects in that movie are fucking great and gross, and I just remember being amazed by them. Did you get to work on like what did you do on the set of the Blob? Uh, on on the Blob, I worked. Uh, the blob shop was divided into Tony Gardner's side and uh, and the blob shop side, which I think Lyle Conway was in charge of that. And they they ended up replacing him with Stuart Ziff. And so I, I was literally, I had sculpted blobs, pseudopods or tentacles. Uh, I got to do painting. I got to work on... Um, some of the effects gags like at the beginning where the old guy is prodding at the uh the blob with a stick yeah the blob leaps up and slides yeah. up the stick and onto his arm we we built that whole effect and they wanted mm. it all to happen in one one shot where it would come up the stick up his arm and then shift color and then i don't think we quite figured out the shift color but we got most most of the gag and then he started chopping at his arm i think <laughs> i feel like i need to see that again I, I haven't seen it in years, it's been a while but yeah it's been a long long time but i i feel like i was happy with what was done on that there were there were effects in that that almost looked cg way before there was cg in, in a good way yeah. oh yeah it's on hulu right now i like oh, I, it's just yeah. like uh for halloween they put it up and i was like oh I'm watching this. I love this movie, but and I, and I got to do some a um, little bit of puppeteering. I think before I even knew what SAG was, I got to do some. <laughs> they took advantage of you. They took advantage of us. <laughs> yeah, we, we, and we would mix up methicil, which is a slime that, or one of the types of slime that we used on the blob, would mix up literally. Um, uh, trash can, 33 gallon trash cans of that stuff. And we were covered, at the end of the day, we were covered with slime because we'd be, they would make, I don't know how much you know about the, 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 the how stuff was ma- built, but we would make these big quilts out of silk and then they were painted and they, they were divided into little pockets that could be filled up with the meth cell. And you'd have these quilts that would weigh hundreds of pounds. And they were used both for the full-size blob and also for the miniature scenes. And the miniature stuff, it was all shot up at DreamQuest. And it was the, you know, the, the, the live-action stuff and the miniature stuff was all done within you know, stages apart. And we would be working on both, which is kind of cool. It was all there. It wasn't divided into different departments, per se. Um, yeah, one more question for the like. Oh. So, uh, were a lot of the gags like storyboarded out, or was some of it just like, "Oh, this will look real cool." We were messing around with this in the shop. Would you get? Let's we, shoot this. We, or we definitely messed around with stuff in the shop, but there was there was especially back then. I think there was more storyboarding because you're shooting on film. Yeah, you couldn't right. go back and look at what you shot. I mean, you have to look at dailies, which were 
why they call dailies they were the next day so you you really wanted to be a little clearer on what you what what you're recording uh, so yeah I, I feel like stuff was storyboarded uh far more so than that i mean you still see storyboards and that happens but it seems to happen less let's say <laughs> things people right. people sort of uh, i know that they uh they do stuff in the moment a lot more which mm. can be good but right. it, it's it makes it difficult for effects people because you have to build stuff and stuff is built for a specific purpose and if you wanted to do more you want to see you know more of a 360 degree then it's going to cost more it's going to take more time to build yeah. so yeah just uh, stuff was definitely boarded out but there was definitely a lot of experimentation too cool and then moving on uh everyone here on superhouse podcast knows i'm a huge alien fan yeah what did you do I mean, how, how, how couldn't you be an alien fan yeah i mean it's true but i do love those movies <laughs> even if i don't particularly like them i still like them because there's an alien in it so the, the design of the alien is so compelling it's like oh yeah yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt oh. Oh no, you're fine. Uh, yeah, I was just asking, like, what did you do on that? What'd you work on? on um, I, I worked on Resurrection at ADI, anyway. and it was right after Starship Troopers. And I think I hadn't seen Starship Troopers, but I was sitting right next to the brain bug. Oh. Cool. <laughs> I had no, yes. no, no idea what the time what it was. <laughs> it was just this big thing, and it's like, oh, yeah, the Starship Troopers. It's often you you hear about stuff that you don't know what it is and then right and then a you know a few months later it's like oh that's what they were talking about right uh <laughs> I, pre afraid. predominantly <laughs> on on for that film i worked on the uh the queen and newborn sequence yeah uh, i sculpted the big egg sack for that and okay. then I, I worked with another guy luke conlin who uh redid all the mechanics for the queen alien we we used the original head that big long queen head yeah. that was from aliens uh, alien 2 and uh, yeah we just pulled all, all the mechanics out redid the skins and uh, I, I did a bunch of fabrication on it at the time i wasn't doing much painting at that shop i was doing more okay. fabrication sculpting cool. and then on alien covenant uh i happened to be back there because my mother was unfortunately ill uh, and I, fortunately i got work there and i started out in the prop shop i painted a bunch of guns and various other props and then i was pushing for the creature department which is kind of where i wanted to end up <laughs> yeah. right and thankfully they uh they looked at my stuff and they said come on come on in and i got to paint on the actual alien i got nice. to paint on the uh the the Neo. yeah the neomorph and worked on on the suits and the heads for that uh working with with the guys from odd studio adam and and um you know uh, damien which were, those guys were great to work with really you know they were they're all super nice um just just fun to work with and i i learned a lot working there it's really good working in other countries because you get to see different ways of, of doing stuff uh, you, you always learn stuff and I, I definitely did on that show that was a shop in australia yeah it was uh, on they, i don't know what they always do it but it seems like in australia they often do these big films on the lot in this case on the fox lot 
and so you've got uh, it's like it's almost like the way they used to do it here with the costume department and crop shop and and preacher shop and all the, all those shops all within a you know right on the lot with yeah right on the lot yeah you know, either a few feet away or you know a little dr- drive away. I'd I'd like for that to still be the case because it would be cool to kind of walk to the other departments. It's, it's hey, what's it's, going on, guys? Yeah, and it's it's communications a little better maybe. Yeah, because you can actually walk and see what other people are doing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, it was a really good experience. Uh, really, I I didn't get to complete it because I ended up coming coming back here. Uh, you know, all of this. My unfortunately, my mother was ill and she ended up dying from cancer in this no, middle sorry. middle of all this. So after that. I kind of ended up coming back here before that show was over. Ah, okay. Just had a lot of loose loose ends to deal with. Mm-hmm. Real life to uh, <laughs> yeah seems seems to poke its way in, but it, but it was a, it was a good experience and it was great being able to work on a second Alien film. I mean, yeah. I, I, I my father loved Giga's stuff. Uh-huh. I got to work on Species Two, and he came to the shop. Uh, at one point on that, Giger did. Yeah. Okay. I, no, I didn't good. say anything. I I saw him kind of talking to people. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to go trotting up to him, but it was kind of cool. We work on on it. you know his designs. Uh, they're really powerful designs. I mean, I think yeah. people are based. You know, the the alien is the basis of I think so many other characters. Right. Since since that time. Yeah. I I. I said this a number of times it's like you look back what was the design in the 70s look back 20 years from the 50s and then you look forward 20 years stuff hasn't changed that much yeah from giga stuff but it changed a huge amount from from the 50s to to that point right i think he really he really put a stamp on that design i mean i'm looking forward to the next leap in in creature design that would be where, interesting. Where, where yeah. the hell that goes? Yeah, and it's it's yeah. it's it's hard to stray away from because I love drawing creatures, and it's hard not to slip back into gigerish looking stuff. Right. But at the same time, it's you know it's inspiring. I feel like the guy who did the Clover Field monster, and then he did the Star Trek that red monster. Yeah, uh, I feel like his designs are pretty uh, interesting for like creature design. Because he messes with like proportion and like li- ligaments and stuff. Yeah, I and think just people... like when that came out, I was like, that looks really interesting, and it's really hard to like see something new a lot. Like if you love creature movies, because you've kind of seen it, you know. Yeah, I, I think yeah, that stuff. I, you know, there's definitely departures. There's definitely people who are who are making noticeable, you know, design changes that where you feel like oh, we we are breaking free a little bit from from that, which is cool. It's it's just. It's hard to do, and it's great to see. Yeah, cool. That's all the questions I had. I just wanted okay. to hear you talk about Alien, yeah, <laughs> really, no. and the box. So I wanted um, to piggyback on this, by the way, if that's okay. Um, I this is a deep dive into your IMDb, not sure. that deep, but yeah. in between Super Force and Alien Resurrection, maybe your IMDb is not uh, complete or whatever. It's very possible. There's there's, there's, there's a bunch of holes. There, there seems to be a six year break. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so is your IMDb just missing something or did you take a break and do something else? Did you uh, no, do the artwork for a while or what? No, I've always been, I, I didn't really take much of a break from doing this stuff. Okay. I would have to look at it more closely and go, what would years? Uh, let me see here. I got it pulled up. Um, hold on a second. Let me, uh, 
look for super force yeah it was uh it was 91 and 97. 97. seems like there's a gap in your um in your you know, imdb I, here I think some of that time i was doing stuff with disney okay and like theme talk type work oh okay yeah like i uh did a bunch of painting on a roger rabbit ride okay uh, I, I did full scale stuff and i also worked on miniatures stuff because all there pretty much i don't know what they still do it but uh, certainly in the times i was working there in the 90s and i think any time prior to that they would build um very accurate architectural models that were fully painted okay really you know, looked like the real deal so they could run cameras through and really figure out how a ride's going to be made uh, so I, I worked on on some of those miniatures and okay. I worked also on a lot of commercials fill in gaps so it's not always film work I mean film work okay. when you get it but yeah so there's a lot of probably at that time yeah at the time I think as I mean my my memory's a little fuzzy but yeah there's either stuff that just wasn't plus I think just when IMD came out and how things were credited or how people gave that information, you know, you don't always get credit in the shop. Right. Whereas now people will, you know, like where I'm working at the moment, they will bother to put your name on IMDb, even if you don't get a, a, a real credit in the film. Right. Or I, maybe I just remembered and bothered to type it in myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just saw because it's usually like you got like one or two year gap here, and then but yeah. then I saw that I was like, hmm, something else happened here. We work on usually I do at least something on a film every year. Okay, it may not be a, any a big piece; it might be just a smaller thing. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. I'll end up being spending a few months on something, and sometimes it can be just a month or a few weeks, and then it'll be broken up with a bunch of commercials. And, okay, you know, well, commercials pay more. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, the SAG can be pretty good on. Oh, right. If you get lucky, if you get a nationwide. When you do SAG, when you get SAG credits, usually when you're doing a puppeteer job. Yeah, it's a pup puppeteer thing, which oddly enough it was Ronald Reagan that, uh, that brought <laughs> puppeteers into into SAG. Into oh, SAG really? Sold, into the screen actors wow. guild. When he wow. was when he was in charge, he was the president of SAG. He was the president of SAG yeah. for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is it. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh yeah interesting tidbit there, Stefan. Did you have any? Um yeah, what did you do on uh the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie? That was it was over at Legacy, and it was just predominantly um, uh, painting appliances. It felt a little more dare I say, yeah. It, it was it was just like in a room filled with people painting lots yeah. and lots and lots of appliances it was when you say it was explain appliance for the listener uh it's it, it, they make up appliances that uh that yeah. help to like the, the change the uh the 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 look of, of the performance like a prosthetic them, makeup like a prosthetic makeup okay yeah cool uh, i did, did a lot of oh, the i'm so bad with the names but the 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 guy with the red tattoos oh drax drax i painted tons of drax i did uh painted, <laughs> bunch of nebula because it drax shot shot like 80 days or something plus uh -huh. plus their stunts and yeah. his, his tattoos there were i think there were eight different sheets of tattoos okay the, and each tattoo had like seven passes of colors it was ridiculous but anyway a bunch of bunch of passes of color to get them even though they just looked red on the screen mm -hmm. Uh, and you imagine 
you've got eight sets times 80 plus right. stunt guys. There are, there are a lot of those to paint. Thankfully, they took me off oh. and put me on other things. <laughs> so you getting tired of Drex? wasn't stuck on that the entire time. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it was... It's always educational. It was, it's, it's, I, I hadn't done that many, you know, days of just painting appliances like that. So it was kind of interesting. And some of the methods they were using was, in, was definitely interesting. They were doing like kind of new methods? Tweaks on, you know, tweaks on, on, uh, on how stuff done, at least stuff I, I hadn't seen. So. I, it's 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 great to go to different shops because you get to learn learn different things. Right. Yeah. Awesome. But, is, is that it, Stefan? Or oh yeah, I think just so. the one. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't get to go to Georgia. I think it was shot in Georgia. Uh, yeah, Atlanta, Atlanta, right? Yeah. Georgia. Oh wow, cool. Yeah. I know a bunch of people were going over there, out there to 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 work on it. I ended up leaving that and going to Australia. That was the time when I oh for I Covenant, Ellen Covenant to Covenant, yeah. Okay, but um, but in a way, I sort of pref- I'm glad I got on on Covenant. I mean, I'm more Guardians is fun, but uh-huh. Alien is you know it's more classic. You like darker shit. I usually. like darker stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Damn right. Fuck <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> forget, forget all that. <laughs> we are also joined by Joey. You came in a little bit late. Oh, cool. What's up, Joey? Good day, Joey. How you doing, man? <laughs> good, man. Good to good to hear from you. Excellent. These uh, guys actually know each other from before they've yeah, worked together. We, we worked at uh, John Merritt's. Um, yeah, it's like where, where we do lots of. His shop does tons of commercials. He's he, mm-hmm. very few films, but doesn't he really does good work on 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 commercials. His his prop style it's like miniatures and props, and I think pretty high end stuff. Yeah, yeah stuff where where at the end of it's like yeah, I feel proud that I've worked. Uh, it's just a commercial, but. The stuff we did looked, yeah, but looked still, pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I came out to L.A. and it's like during the writer's strike. And so I was like just trying to find a job of some sort. <laughs> uh, got a little PA gig at a, uh, at a prop shop. So I was there for like seven months. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. There's lots of cool stuff being made. and Oh, yeah. Lots of frantic people trying to, trying to get that stuff out the door. Yeah, just kind of learn how it all works, you know. And model builders are different <laughs> from creature. Creature effect shops have one kind of people. Model builders definitely there's a different pace, there's a different attitude. Mm-hmm. Just they're they're definitely different places to work. But okay, uh, yeah, it's it's all good stuff. Did you have a question about yeah. one of the? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> um, so using we've we've talked with the. Uh, sort of FX artists, we sort of talk about the, you know, Marvel style movies or horror movies, but I see that uh, you've done a few like Meet the Spartans, Scary Movie 2, uh, what's the other one, Epic Movie, like how's yeah. it working on those like sort of satirical, uh, you know, sort yeah, of fun? You know, you definitely notice the budget is different, it's lower, things are faster mm-hmm. paced. Um, I gotta say, the Meet the Spartans is probably my least <laughs> favorite. <laughs> <laughs> working on it was fine. I, I got I got to go out on got to go out to New Orleans to hang okay. out there a little bit. And I always like going out to that that part of the world. It's it's you know it's a beautiful mm-hmm. city. Yeah, it is. But when I saw that film, I think I questioned <laughs> why I was working. I questioned my life. I did question why the, the person I was working for at the time was a creature effects and. 
Mark, the guy in charge there, was kind enough to to pay for us to see it. And I, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it was just yeah. like that was not that was not, uh, and the amount of effort, even you know, you doesn't matter what the film is, you put your all into it. <laughs> that's that's right. the problem. I mean, you put you you, you know you are hired to do a job, and you take the job seriously. It's like it's not our job to. Go well. This is going to be a crappy film, so we're going to sure. do. We treat it like it's going to be a good film, and and oddly enough, on set, the guy, the British guy that was playing Leonidas' character, he was really funny on set. There was some mm -hmm. funny, you know, they would do a bunch of lines over and over, and he would do it different ways. And I thought, well, maybe this film, maybe this is going to work. Maybe this is. I mean, it's like why not do a parody of? of but you had your film. reservations before that. You're like, this is not going to be good. Uh I didn't know. Okay. You, you don't. You don't know when you're in the middle of a film. You don't know. I and mean, sometimes you think, "Oh, this could be crap," and it's great. And other times you think the other way. But you really don't know. Yeah, it's tough. Comes out. I mean, that's that's the big mystery with films. Maybe the people who are editing it have some clue. Yeah. But mm -hmm. from yeah. from my little tiny window, it's it's really hard to tell. And yeah, it seemed like that guy was funny. He was funny on the set, and there was some bits and pieces that looked like they had potential it's like well if you cut this together this could be good but it seemed like they barely had an hour of footage and then the last 20 minutes was just kind of behind the you know or the gaffs i seem to remember can't remember i, I can't believe i remember this much it's like i, I think i wanted to, <laughs> you wanted to forget it forget yeah, it and i know i never actually saw epic movie i didn't you know i yeah, I did work okay. on on the original three hundred, and that was that was fun. Mm -hmm. I feel feel better about working. On right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, that's right. Who sure. brought you in? It's like, yeah, you worked on the original three hundred. Yeah, and I think I worked on the the second one too. Over it. You think? Oh, you right forgot? Yeah. No, no, I definitely. <laughs> uh, I looked up Meet the Spartans two percent on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. That's very kind of them. That's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> we gave it the two, man. Yeah. I, 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 well, someone's got to. Someone's got to do that, I guess. Oh my mm -hmm. god! Yeah, it, it deserved. No, did it deserve two? I don't know. Zero <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, uh, I, I was shocked. I was, yeah. Anyway, the other one was Little Monsters. This is a movie I, you know, actually watched I, when I was a kid I, I, quite a bit. I, I watched Little Monsters probably around when it came out, and I remember kind of being impressed by it. It was it was mm -hmm. that was at Robert Shorts, and it was. Right after they'd done Beetlejuice, so I okay. was working with a lot of people who'd worked on Beetlejuice. All those props from Beetle, a bunch of those props from Beetlejuice were around. Like they ended up painting a bunch of the uh, Adam and Barbara stretch faces for. They were using them for advertising somewhere. Okay, so they pulled a bunch of those uh, out of straight legs, latex out of the molds and painted those up. But yeah, I mean, Little Monsters, I. I enjoyed working on that. It was one of the first films where I was doing more painting appliances and doing that kind mm -hmm. of work. I hadn't done a lot of that sort of work at, at that point. And that, and Bob Shorts, Robert Shorts, it was, it was a tiny shop. It was kind of a funky little shop. It was a good atmosphere, but we'd, we'd set up outside and he <laughs> would hook up the hose for the water. <laughs> that was it was definitely a, a funky little space down in Marina del Rey, but no. you know it was they were really good people and it was it was a good experience. Cool, awesome. Um, I just wanted to ask about the Last Samurai. So you made this mechanical horse? Yeah, that was over Creature Effects, and it was made from 
scratch, having I mean, we no one had built anything quite like that before, at least not at the shop we were in. So we had to figure out like what's the fur going to be made out of. Uh. <laughs> you know, there's there, there were a lot of questions. It was an interesting project because we the mechanical guys that came in they wanted to be able to design the thing in the computer. Right. So if you're going to design on the computer, you need to. And mind you, this was around 03, so this was new territory for people. Um, so they they found some digital model of a horse and pre-ZBrush and the like, where it was easier to, to sculpt and, and model things like that. Not, not that it wasn't being done, right? obviously. Um, and I think, what, what did they do? They, they did some minor modifications. They then had that CNC cut. And it was then um, sculpted in clay um, and then scanned. And then they used that scan to design the mechanics. And then, and this, this, that sculpture was only like two foot or something. It was a small, it was, right. a, it was a maquette of the horse, essentially. And then that was then CNC cut out of foam full scale. And I remember there was a lot of like, how big it, how do it's, how do we measure this horse? Because obviously you measure a real horse by the withers, which is where the shoulder blades are, but this is a fake horse. So are the shoulder blades even quite the right place? It's, uh, uh, I remember us being not 100% sure about uh, the real horses in New Zealand, so we, did, we couldn't measure it. We had to go off their measurements. Uh, and then when that CNC foam cut horse came in, um, the legs looked a little too fat <laughs> the head sculptor on that immediately just started carving them down okay and the the, the lead mechanic is like what the hell are you doing but because, why, why would you even make a mechanical horse what was the purpose for this to, for well, him to yeah, fall off of it the, or what? the whole purpose of that shot and uh, probably should have prefaced it no it's this. fine uh the whole purpose of that shot was i i, I guess Trying to think of which movie it was. There's a movie prior to that where Tom Cruise's face had been stuck onto a stuntman's face, and he wanted to do the stunt. He didn't want a stuntman doing the stunt. And the shot was uh. in the fog battle where a horse comes in and, and kind of t-bones the horse, and his the horse that we built that Tom Cruise is on rears up and then is knocked over. Okay. With Tom Cruise all in one shot. Right. So they wanted to to get that that whole shot with him on it, rearing up the whole thing. And then the other horse that, that runs into him was just like a it was a, a stunt mechanical horse with no animatronics in it. Whereas the one we built, um everything from the head down was all hydraulics. You know, okay. Beautiful little hydraulic rams and the legs. Mm -hmm. Um it was all computer controlled, so you could pre-program movements or it could be puppeteered. They'd made Waldo-type um, controllers, so the puppeteers, like the, some of the controllers, looked like miniature versions of the legs. Um, and then the head, two other guys did all those uh, animatronics, and they're were, they were all more traditional RC-type uh, uh, servos in the head. And the nostrils flared, the mouth had side-to-side -side movement, it could open and close. It had eyebrow movement. If you go on the creature effects side, I think there's some uh, video of it doing its thing. And it's definitely worth looking at because I think it really 
really came out well. I mean, a lot of money was spent on it. But right. It was done. It was done from scratch, and there was there was a lot to figure out. And we had about ten months. We were doing other things in between, but we had about ten months to build that, and then it was all brought out to New Zealand. Where'd you make it? If it wasn't, it was it was made uh, where Creature Effects is, which is right by Universal City area. Oh, okay, North Hollywood ish Universal's. Yeah, so yeah, it's just sort of south of North Hollywood. Okay, right, right. Really, it's like walk to Universal Studios. Oh, okay. About ten minutes walk from there. Okay. What was it like working with with Edward Zwick, the director? Um. I didn't see him that much, but okay. he, you know, seemed competent, seemed to know what he's doing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always enjoyable watching people and the big productions. As I said before, it's, that's, it's, it's like an army and, and, um, there's so many people with all the little parts and you know, the effects guys. Yeah. The, you know, in this case, it was, it was doing the uh, fog battles. So this whole area of forest had to be fogged up. Um, you've got a whole bunch of guys on horses with, you know, with, with guns firing that have to be coordinated, a lot of, a lot of moving parts. And it's to be there to watch that happening is, is definitely, it's an impressive sight. When I, when the, I remember when the credits started rolling in that film, I was one of the first times in a long time at that point where I felt like, fuck, I got to see this movie again. I really loved Last Samurai a lot. And I know there was a bit of like, oh, Tom Cruise is the Last Samurai? This is bullshit. Like, it's kind of a whitewashing argument. Yeah, and Tom for Cruise always then. gets people's hackles up. Yeah. I think he did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's convincing. I mean, it was the right tone for that type yeah. of film. I mean, you've got to look at it in context of the sort of film it is, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And yeah. I think it, he, he did the right job in, in the kind of film that, that it is. It was, I felt like he had a good uh, performing tone. I mean, what else would you expect? I mean, it, not making an art film, but it was a beautifully shot. It's just that I think people took issue with the fact that it's, it's a movie called the last samurai. And then it's the text is at the top. And then Tom Cruise's Tom white Cruise, face yeah. is right in the middle, which sure I get it. But a, there actually is an historical yeah, something happening in history. Yeah. That, yeah. It was a French there's, guy, there's, not an American, but there was some sort of account. Yeah, it was, it was this white dude's perspective on these on these events. Yeah, yeah, it's it's from his perspective, so whatever. But also, when I talk to Japanese people about this movie, they're they're generally like they it's really kind of held in high regard. It's kind of it's great to hear. Yeah, it's Dude. kind of held in high esteem, I think, which is kind of cool. And Watanabe probably has a lot to do with that. <laughs> and he was very cool on set. I think he yeah. just has. Certain actors definitely have a presence, and he is yeah. no exception. And Tom Cruise, I mean, he was acting a little sort of larger than life, as one would expect on set. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but at the same time, he came down, he shook hands with all the puppeteers. Oh, yeah. He brought his children on set to take a look at the, the mechanical horse. That we That's built. cool. He was, you know, he was, I thought he was very nice to everyone. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have any issue. I mean, there was... The issues that we did have one day, I think the first day we were, we were shooting the horse where uh, Tom Cruise was finally on it. It wasn't, wasn't a stunt guy. Mm -hmm. And we had all the horses racing towards him. At one point, yeah. their neck gets turned on the horse. Yeah. One of the real horses hits the neck of the mechanical horse and just snaps it. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> it was made out of, it was all made out of quarter inch and half inch steel uh-huh. uh, linkages that were making up the vertebrae of the neck. But you know, a, a real horse weighs what 1,800 pounds. And yeah. Running, that was nothing for it to snap. So we would spend all night repairing that and, and oh man, bringing it back to life for the next day so we, we could shoot it. Uh, yeah, it was it was definitely one of the cooler experiences to, to have I and mean, we were out there for two months uh, where we were in new zealand was was beautiful right uh, the food was good oh well, that's in good new was, <laughs> i mean we were in a tiny little town and that the food was spectacular oh really oh, yeah. great coffee great food um and working on a film that that unlike certain films yeah still kind of proud to work on right 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 Whenever I was in Japan a few years later, this isn't on your IMDb. I don't think you worked on it, but when I saw my, my friend was like, let's go see a movie. And I wasn't really paying attention to movies at the time. I was living in Japan. I was trying to learn Japanese and all this shit. We saw Blood uh, Blood Diamond, which is the same director, yeah. Edward Zwick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. He did do that. And I didn't, um, I didn't know anything about it. Just my friend was like, let's see. And I did not want to see it based on the poster, but I went because my friend wanted to see it. It was one of my favorite movies that year come back and i think imdb was around then check out and i was like oh fuck it's the last samurai director no wonder it's great and i think did he do um i'm gonna have to look it up because i'm totally spacing he did a film that i worked on like was it early 90s it was a civil war film glory glory yeah glory. that yeah 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 that's glory. right yeah yes that that's right that was I really good too I wasn't on set for that, but I just I, do. I worked on like I think at the beginning guy gets hit by a cannonball, and I yeah. think we were working on the effect for that. Okay. So that was that was was my first first experience on one of his films. But yeah, oh at yeah, least yeah. We, I got on Last Samurai. I did at least get to see him directing. But it's oh yeah. I mean, watching a director on set direct is a little remote because they're off. You looking know, at the monitor tent, and shit. Looking at monitor. Yeah. And you're just seeing bits and pieces. It's a, it's all I mean, I guess if if you're up close and working with them or you're the actor, you get to see a little more. But but when you're doing effects, you you're very separated from from a lot of that. Right. Yes. And at least most of the time. I and mean, sometimes you get to be a little more direct or uh, if you're doing puppeteering and stuff, you you have to someone's gotta give you direction, hopefully, or you figure it out yourself and think right um, puppeteer direction i haven't even thought about that <laughs> yeah it's an important thing it's like how does the creature move what's it doing yeah so right sometimes yeah sometimes you get time to, to to work on that uh sometimes you get time in the shops it's like well what what kind of movement uh, you know how, how does this creature move what's it doing what's its motivation all that kind of thing it is a type of acting even though right. at times sometimes you're twiddling a knob to make something move but sometimes you're actually you really are trying to come up with a emotion to give life to whatever the creature is and a horse is is tricky because it we're familiar with its movements it's not like a creature where you can get away with a lot more but a horse you know how it moves so it's not right. moving the right way and i remember those conversations coming up it's like well what kind of walking because even though a horse is locked down it could still do uh, um walking movements the front legs were we had the, uh, all of the front legs and half the back legs so you saw the the rump kind of moving um 
you know, how's a neck move? How would it rear up? So there's a lot of studying of, of, of video of motion. You had to see and, Tom Cruise fall off of this thing like 10 times. I remember how many times. I think we did it probably, I feel like there was like five times. Five takes. It was really padded where he fell. I mean, yeah, made I sure would assume, was, yeah. Extre- you know, there were bags and, and all sorts of all manner of things around that area. Okay. And, and they had to cut out an area that was probably the size of his room. It was about 20, 20 foot by 20 foot area. Uh-huh. 10, 10 by 10 was for the uh, steel plate that the the uh, horse was attached to. And then I think they just needed extra space to if you wanted to swivel it around. And then there was a big uh, hydraulic pump that was the size of a small car. It was off about 30 <laughs> feet that had to run the hydraulics on it. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was definitely an elaborate setup. I mean, to, to, to do that out in the middle of the forest, you've got to get equipment to dig out that area. Right. Uh, you know, it took a day to, to set it all in. And I think we spent a month in one location where we just did test shots. We, we oh, set yeah. it all up, they shot it. I, it was funny because they put a big green screen behind it and <laughs> shot it in front of the green screen. It's like, oh, it's good we came to New Zealand for that. <laughs> right. Um, Stefan, did you have any? I don't know. <laughs> no questions. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, well, yeah, we're, we're nearing the end. Um, I wanted to ask, um, when you go to the theater, what do you look forward to most? Um, is it, is it the effects makeup or, uh, just blood in general? You're, you seem to be less of a horror guy, actually. I mean, I I don't mind horror. The horror needs to be there in context to, to whatever it is I'm watching and it's it's clever, sure. Yeah. But I'm not like, oh, it's a horror film. Let's just go and see it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be, it's got to have a little more to it than that. I mean, I I, I love fantasy and aliens and, you know, sci- sci-fi. Uh, time travel is always a good thing. <laughs> okay. If it's done reasonably well. Yeah. I mean, it, as much as I, it, I do effects work, but I didn't necessarily have to go and see it in effects film. I mean, okay. it has effects in a great I can definitely enjoy them, but it doesn't have to be an effects film for me to enjoy it. Okay. So would you say that Star Wars is still kind of at the top of your movie list to this day? Yeah, I mean, as an adult, it's it, you cringe a little bit at the dialogue. Really? But but the look of I mean, I still, the overall story. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, the, the look of it, I still think it holds up. Yeah, I think the miniatures in that, the, the matte paintings, the effects in general. Yeah, there's some rough around the edges and some of the creatures are a little looser. But overall, considering when it was done, it was such a leap ahead of anything else. Right. I mean, the production design was just, was just beautiful. My mom said that was the first sci-fi movie she ever liked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she wasn't a fan of Flash Gordon or whatever. Yeah, I mean, all that Before stuff that. seems it's it seems sort of easy and contrived. Whereas you could get into something like Star Wars and be taken away, and it's like I, I have traveled somewhere else. I have traveled to a new right, world, as opposed to watching something where it's like, yeah, it's some people who contrived something, who've made up, and it, it's looking cheesy in front of me. Right, <laughs> Star Wars, you could believe it. You believe those robots were real robots or uh, uh, droids were real droids. Somebody also said that one of the reasons for its success is for until Star Wars, 
a lot of sci-fi was fairly slow paced. Yeah. But George Lucas liked racing he, cars he, he, in real life. He did keep the pacing going. And and with the trench run at the end and all that, yeah. it, 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 there's the like edge of your seat. there's definitely a lot of speed yeah. to Star Wars, yeah. which I think probably is what one of the things that really separated it from other other sci-fi at the time. I've got to work with a couple of people who worked on the original. Oh yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the, on the on the blob, David Beasley. Who was, okay. was working with on the, the the old guy getting his hand chopped? He did. He built, I think, some of the original Millennium Falcons because they obviously there's a bunch of different scales. Can we have him on the podcast? You <laughs> <laughs> uh, always track him down. Is he in the, the Bay Area? Uh, he lives up. Last time I heard from him, he was up in Santa Barbara area. Oh, that's not that far. Yeah, no. but he's he's. Uh, Pretty great guy, very calm. I mean, they, he did, if, if there is such a thing as old souls, he's definitely fits into that category. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's and very knowledgeable, and he's more of a machinist. Okay. He actually taught me or introduced me to the concept of machining and buying high quality machines. Okay. And yeah, tools in the effects industry is certainly an important thing. Cool. Um, let me see what else we got here. Um, so last question, um, maybe kind of a long question, but, um, look at time. (laughs) Uh, what were your hopes and dreams at the time of entering the industry? Uh, did you have any disillusionment once you got in it? Uh, and has that, if there was, was the disillusionment, did it kind of dissipate think, quickly or over the years? Or I think I was so young, I didn't think I knew what I was heading into. I just okay. kind of went in blind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't think there were hopes and dreams. It's just like, this looks exciting and, and okay. fun and like something I've never done before. And yeah, I, I've been doing this for probably 30 years or close, right. close to that. And yeah, there's certainly days when it's like, well, what the hell am I doing? But most days I go to work, I do feel still feel excited. I still feel inspired. I still love seeing stuff that I've worked on and other people that I know have worked on. And, and I love the creativity. Uh, I love the fact that it forces me to, to, to solve problems to think every day. Um, anything I think it, it doesn't feel is my own you know my own art my own creativity because i'm you know i'm working for someone else i'm building their dreams right that's the area that doesn't really get filled but in terms of just doing creative stuff it's pretty cool and you get to do it with a group of there's so many amazing people that i work with i mean i so many people that it's it's that are really good artists that i'm lucky enough to be around to work with it's it's really inspiring and I, i don't feel like i've lost that it's, I didn't know what I was getting into. Now, now that I'm here, it's, I don't know what else I would have done, to be honest. Right. Well, at least you didn't. You never. You didn't seem like you wanted to change at all. Like you, you, you started this when you're 15, and you, you're still doing it. Yeah. No, it's, it's still every day is a different day. Every, you know, every project has new and different challenges. I mean, yeah, there's, there's some repetition, and it's like, yeah, we've made these mistakes, or we've gone down this road, or whatever, but. There's always new stuff. There's always another way of approaching things, and there's new technology. There's rapid, you know, the rapid pro- 
prototype machine. There's new software. Yeah. And I do a lot of Photoshop stuff as well. And I'm getting my ZBrush skills up. And th those are really exciting new tools, uh, new and old tools at this point. <laughs> right. That add even more to what what we do. Add even more to, to the physical part of the effects that, that, that happen. I mean, CG, I think, enhances. I mean, sometimes you couldn't do a shot without CG. I mean, there's a lot of shots that would be impossible. Yeah. Couldn't have even been done. And hopefully doing practical stuff, you know, they, they enhance each other. And I, I think I deviated from the question. No, that's good. Definitely. Um, I think that's going to do it for, for this episode, unless you guys got something else. Kicking back and taking in all the yeah, it's a little lighter for some of you. Yeah, that's true. Effects artist. I'm gonna be dreaming about movies now. Okay. Well, I think that's gonna do it, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Julian. Thank you. That was Julian Ledger, everybody. We wanted to thank him for coming on. It's always awesome to have all these effects artists come on to Superhouse. And this time was certainly no exception. And that's basically it. That's been episode 97. We are going to do our Justice League review next week. And we will have senior Batman correspondent Ben Wan on Superhouse once again to discuss that. We are looking really forward to that. And we'll also do some... Punisher stuff as well, but I think that probably the Justice League stuff will take precedence at least this uh, coming episode. And then we also would like to ask that everyone leave a comment if they can in uh, iTunes if possible and on SoundCloud as well. But uh, I think leaving a comment in iTunes actually increases our exposure. So that's why we're asking for that. And that's basically it this time. This has been episode 97. Check you guys later. Ben, I've missed you. This is Stefan from the Superhouse Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Patreon, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other godforsaken social media outlet that we that we should be floating on. We are basically on all social media. <laughs> yeah, all social media. Mainly Facebook and Twitter and Patreon. Check out the links in the description. We have uh, a lot of uh, cool goals uh, set up on our Patreon. Like if you donate a dollar, you'll be able to uh, give us a topic for us to talk about. And that's we'll talk dope. about for maybe an hour or more. Who knows yeah. how long it'll take. And that's pretty tight. <laughs> that's the coolest thing. <laughs> Wait, we're on the internet? That's pretty good. <laughs> and we can make money. <laughs> what? <laughs> if you donate $1,000, you get full frontal nudes. We haven't set that up, but it's a possibility. <laughs> you give us a grant, who knows what will happen. Check us out. I'll do that. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> you get to go on a date with one of us for $10,000. <laughs> but you pay for everything. <laughs> <laughs> you get to have your way with Maddie for $20,000. I'm a million, I'll give you Joey for a weekend. For $30,000, we'll help you hide a body. Check out our Patreon. Superhouse Gigolo Project 2017. <laughs> Links in the description. <laughs>
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 